0: We have spent several weeks here, and uh, we've looked at the servant leadership model on Wednesday as we looked at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We looked how uh, we explained how that's not an ordinance that goes along with the Lord's table, uh, which should be clear from the Scripture, because well, well, how do we know that? Well, one way we know that. Uh, that we don't have to wash feet when we observe the Lord's table is because it's not mentioned in Corinthians. When he, uh, when Paul teaches the ordinance of the Lord's table, there's no there's no mention there of having to wash people's feet. And the purpose of Jesus washing the disciples' feet was to give an example of ministry to them, to give an example of service to them. Now we're in verse eighteen. And- you'll remember we pointed out in verse number two, supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. So we'll see here in just a moment that Satan enters into Judas. But at this point, he had only put it into his heart to betray Jesus. And so what did Jesus do happens after this where we find out that after supper had ended it had been placed into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus Jesus washed Judas's feet too he washed all of their feet he didn't send them out until after these verses we look at tonight and so that ought to teach us well I don't really want to minister you don't know what they do me well Jesus does and He still tells us to minister to one another. Amen? And uh, so what, a, what an example given. So tonight we're in chapter 13, starting at verse 18. And if you don't mind, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. John chapter 13, verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath, lift, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you, then the disciples looked one on another, doubting whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples beckoned him that he should ask. He then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, "Lord, who is it?" Jesus answered, "He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it." And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto them. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Let's pray together as we uh, prepare to study this passage. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening. We thank you so much for the truth of Scripture. We thank you, that you are in uh, control of everything and anything that occurs. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, we've been able to meet here and have a wonderful day fellowshipping together this morning in Sunday school and then in the Sunday morning service, the fellowship afternoon this afternoon as we were able to get to know the Thule's a little better and then uh, being able to visit with... Uh, Brother Mike and Miss Pat, and now as we gather back together tonight and sing these uh, wonderful hymns of the faith and study your Scripture, we're just grateful that we have the liberty to do all of these things. Lord, And if it wasn't for your only begotten Son, we wouldn't have the freedom to do this. Lord, and so we're so grateful for the sacrifice of your Son. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the sacrifice of Your Son, but this evening as there are talks of in the media and in our political landscape of different fears and things of that nature, Lord, we're grateful for the sacrifice that's been given through many young men and women in this country that have given us opportunity where we can meet freely here this evening. Lord, we're thankful for all that You've accomplished Lord, we pray now for us this evening that You would speak to us through Your Word. We pray that You would stir our hearts to be better servants of Yours. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would work in us. Help us to preach uh, uh, faithfully and not just to preach our opinion, but help us to preach Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would convict our hearts and I pray that You would help us not to be focused on this world, but to focus, Heavenly Father, on Your Son. Lord, we love You. We thank You so much for loving us. Be with us now in these next few moments as we study together. We pray that all the distractions outside of the building will just vanish for these next few moments as we look to Your Word for guidance. In Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We've already laid the groundwork, and so we're going to move rather quickly this evening into our points. There are some things that we need to to notice in this passage. And so we're going to compare, really, Jesus and Judas, and we're going to look at some key aspects from the scripture here about our Savior and his betrayer. And so uh, if you're taking notes this evening, we see in verses 18 through 21, the first thing that we want to point out is that Jesus foretold of his betrayal. He foretold of his betrayal. This is going to be important for us to understand in uh, in just a moment, uh, as we look at Judas in just a moment. I want us to look, I speak not of you all. Now remember, back at verse number 10, He that is washed, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all, in verse 10. And remember, he tells us, or the Scripture goes on to teach us, He knew who should betray Him. I know, in verse 18, after he says, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me lifted up his heel against me. He foretold his betrayal. This, this betrayal needed to occur because it would fulfill Scripture. Now I tell you, verse 19, before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe... I am He. Ye may believe that I am He. It was foretold in the prophets that Jesus or the Messiah would be betrayed by His friend. Look at Psalm 41. Turn to Psalm 41 with me, if you will, this evening. We'll just look at one passage here. Psalm chapter 41. I want to look down around verse 9. Psalm 41 and verse 9 reads, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And I keep you placed here. Go back to John 13. Look at verse 18. I know, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel. And so there's your cross reference to John 13, 18 is Psalm 41 and verse 9. And I find it interesting as we read Psalm 41, 9, we see the psalmist David quotes, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted. And that was the quote that Jesus quoted from Scripture that pointed to his betrayal. Yea, mine own Familiar friend in whom I trusted. You see, Jesus had chosen Judas. He was one of the twelve. And it is considered that Judas was one that He called His familiar friend, meaning that He knew Judas very well. He foretold of His betrayal because this betrayal would fulfill Scripture. That's why verse 19, as we've already stated, when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am He when they would look back at the events of the Last Supper and the events of this 24-hour period that we are currently in, starting in John chapter 13 till about John chapter 17, they will look back after the fact and realize this was a fulfillment of Scripture. Another proof that Jesus is exactly who He said He was. Not only was it fulfilling of Scripture, the foretelling of His betrayal, but we see verse 20 back to John 13. John 13, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that receiveth whomever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. This foretelling of the betrayer not only fulfilled Scripture, but it verified His Lordship. He was from the Father, and whoever received Jesus received the Father, just as He goes on to teach that whoever receives you receives Me. This verified His Lordship how? Verse 21, because He knew the details. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray Me. One of you shall betray me. This he he verified the details. Lotus down at verse, let's look down and said, uh, Jesus answered, He it is, verse 26, to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. He knew the details of his betrayal, he knew who his betrayer was, and it verified his lordship, just as when he went to Philip and told Philip that he saw him under the tree. There's only one that has that ability to that omniscience, that omnipresence, and and that omnipotence, and that is God. And so we see it verifying the lordship of Jesus Christ once again by His knowledge of future events. I want us to notice something in verse 21 though, even though Jesus knew... Even though Jesus knew of what was about to occur, the Bible says He was troubled by this betrayal. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray Me. He was troubled. Why? Because as the psalmist David said and Jesus had quoted, He was His familiar friend he was someone that Jesus trusted how could Jesus trust Judas knowing that he would betray him how could Jesus trust Judas knowing that he would be the one well then I take that a step further and say how could Jesus even choose him because he was here to fulfill the will of God not the will of man and so Jesus knowing and choosing And for three and a half years, Judas would follow Him and would be His disciple and would be one of the twelve, one of the final few that remained with Him after John chapter 6 when many of His disciples left. One of the few that would be in this room at the moment when they would partake of the Lord's table together in a very intimate situation where they would fellowship. And so Jesus was troubled in spirit. Look at verse number 20 once again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. What is he doing in this final hour of his betrayal as he foretells his betrayal? Not only is he verifying his lordship, but he is teaching disciples of their authority. Notice he takes the time in verse 20. He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. Who's He talking about? His disciples that He would send out. Look at Luke chapter 10 very quickly. Let's turn there. Just take a little little side trip, if you will. down about verse 16. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 16 reads, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that you, despiseth me. Despiseth him, or despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. The 70 laborers here in chapter 10 are being sent out, and they're being sent out two by two to go into the houses and... Uh, they are uh, uh, to teach and to preach Jesus Christ, and that was their commission to go. And He told them that whoever hears you is hearing me. And that same principle applies as we see that being taught here in John 13 and verse 20 that whomsoever I send, uh, uh, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. The Apostle Paul will go on later in his epistles and he'll write that we are ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors. We speak on behalf of Christ. He said, so, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not even a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter. That epistle isn't written to Sunday school teachers or pastors or missionaries. It's written to Christians. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's our role. That's what we do. And so when we go out, as they are sent out in Luke chapter 10, and as Jesus confirms here in John chapter 13, that those who He sends, if they receive you, they're receiving Jesus. Why? Because we're going in Jesus' stead. We're going in His place. We're doing His work. We are ambassadors. Just as if the President of the United States sends an ambassador to a foreign country, when that person speaks, they speak on behalf of the President of the United States. It's the same concept with us as followers of Christ. And here, as He is teaching this, what's about to happen? He's about to be betrayed. As He is reminding the disciples that those that receive... You are receiving Me. And if they receive Me, they're receiving the One that sent Me. Notice the trend. It all points back to the Father. And that is the point of the Scriptures here as we learn in this betrayal that He is encouraging the disciples that not all who say they believe, believe. Not all who say, oh, I'm a friend of Christ is a friend of Christ. That's important for us to understand. We're going to be let down because Jesus was let down. Amen? And if they've hated Him, surely they're going to hate us. Notice Jesus foretold of His betrayal. We've pointed out in these first 22-23 verses. Now I want us to look down at verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to Him, That he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Jesus foretells of his betrayal, and the disciples want to know who it is because he just told them, One of you are going to betray me. Not only do we see Jesus foretold of his betrayal, but now we look at Judas as he fooled his fellow disciples. Judas fooled his fellow disciples. There's something that we learn about Judas through this account. First of all, we learn that he was good at pretending. He was good at pretending. And maybe that from the very beginning, Judas had wonderful intentions and wanted to follow Jesus. But at the point of the anointing of Jesus unto His death by Mary, we notice that at that point, he sought to betray Jesus. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Judas was good at pretending. Instead of falling by the wayside in John chapter 6, like many of the disciples did when Jesus said, look, I'm not here to be your political advantage. I am here because I am the light of the world. When He says, I am He, I am the Father, And what, when He said those things and many of the disciples left Him, Judas could have left. If he didn't like what Jesus had to say, he could have left. But he didn't. He stuck around. We notice from this passage, not only was Judas good at pretending, but we see that others were perplexed. Look at verse 24. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Who who in the world would betray Jesus? Especially of us twelve that are here. Uh, uh, John, ask Jesus... Who it is that's going to betray him because I don't understand. Is it I? And if you remember from other passages and other gospel accounts, there are those that would ask the question, Lord, is it I? Is it I? And then Judas would even go on to ask, Is it I? Others were perplexed. Look down at verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when He had dipped the sop, He gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So He very clearly pointed out who His betrayer would be. But then verse 27, And after the sop, Satan entered into Him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. That's perplexing to me. Amen? But it's perplexing to the disciples because they asked who it was. Jesus said, who I dip the sop in and give it to. So who we share the sop, that's who it is. And then what did He do? He shared it with Judas. And then He told him to go and what He was getting ready to do, do it quickly. And the disciples still had no idea who He was talking about. This is how trusted Judas was. Notice, for some of them thought, verse 29... Because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast. Or that he should give something poor. This is how trusted Judas was within that fellowship. Within that group, that faithful, familiar friend. This was Judas Iscariot. He was a good pretender. I want to take a side note here, and I want to point out very quickly, verse 27, before we move to the main two applications this evening. After the sop, Satan entered into him. Satan planted the seed in verse 2. Now we're going to see that Satan didn't plant the seed, and then Judas went out and betrayed him. No, Judas had already sold him out at this point. And we'll see that a little later. But Satan planted the seed in his heart, That now is the time. And then in verse 27, Satan enters into Him. So when Jesus said these words, that thou doest do quickly, who's He speaking to? Satan. Satan. Who has entered into Judas? Satan. Who is Judas possessed with? Satan. Satan. So now when Jesus is speaking to Judas, He is actually speaking to Satan and He is commanding him whatever you're getting ready to do. He knew what He was going to do. Amen. What you're getting ready to do, do it and do it quickly. Don't hesitate. Satan, go. I couldn't help but think that even in this, the final hour, as Satan was planning to overthrow and to take over the throne here on earth and to rule and reign for eternity because that's all he's ever wanted was to be higher than God, to be worshipped as God and we learn that from Isaiah in these final moments before the betrayal and before the scourging and before the crucifixion Judas or rather Satan still needed permission from the God of all creation to do what he was going to do turn to Job chapter 1 Job chapter 1. This ought to be a little bit of an encouragement for you this evening. There are a lot of times when we blame Satan and disasters in our life. It's much easier to blame Satan or a demon than it is to take responsibility for our own messes. Amen. Sometimes it's easier just to do that, but... There are times when we go through spiritual warfare, and that's clear in Scripture. But it ought to be a comfort to know that everything that happens happens because God allows it. Now, that's, that's very, as we've said through this theme so far, under this point, it's perplexing. Look at Job chapter 1 at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, All that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And what did Satan do? He did exactly that. He took everything that he had from him. Everything that he had, all of his children and his servants and his wealth, gone in an instant. And then what was Job's reaction? The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice the upright man doesn't blame Satan for all of his downfalls, as we see in our servant Job in the book of Job. He understands who's in control. Why? Because although it was Satan who took all those things from him, he took them at the behest of God. He took them from him because God gave him permission to do so. That ought to be a firm reminder. And an encouragement tonight that whenever we face something throughout the years, whenever we go through a hardship and we start to question, ought we not be like Job? Satan may have been the, the instrument that God used to bring about destruction and to stir up and to cause the dust to start to billow in our lives, but it's still God that's in control. It's still God that's seated on the throne. It's still God who directs our paths. And so as we go here in John chapter 13, and we look at verse 27, you almost can't help but smile as you read as Satan enters into Judas Iscariot. He still needed God's permission. He still needed God's permission to betray the Savior. He needed God's permission and so, Judas fooled his fellow disciples. Judas was good at pretending others were perplexed because they trusted Him. And then we see in verse 27 as Satan enters in that Judas chose to make Satan his master. Judas chose to make Satan his master. It's the only way Satan could have entered in. This whole concept of, uh, of, of the horror industry uh, where demons just enter into people... It's so anti-scriptural that we ought not fear it. We ought not be so concerned with it. Why? Well, first of all, if you're saved, you can't be possessed by a devil. Amen? There's only room for one in there when Jesus is seated on the throne of your heart. There's no room for anyone else. No one else can possess you. You're not even to possess yourself. Jesus is to possess you. But this concept of Satan and demons just entering into people against their will. No, Judas had chosen his master. Judas had chosen who he wanted to follow. He may not have known that he was choosing Satan, but he wasn't choosing Jesus. I want us to ask ourselves the question, who in their right mind would betray Jesus Christ? Who in their right mind would betray Jesus? Jesus Christ. Judas had followed Jesus and been a part of the disciples here for the three and a half years of ministry of the calling out of the disciples. He would have seen the miracles. He would have seen the, the, those that were blind, the vision restored. Who would betray such a one? He would have seen those that were lame able to walk and regain their strength. And he just says, as Jesus told the lame man to rise, take up thy bed and walk. And he did so. Judas saw that. Who would betray such a one? Then as Jesus would stand outside the tomb of Lazarus and cry out, Lazarus, come forth! As Lazarus would come bound by that death cloth and they would take and unwrap him. Judas would see Jesus having power over death, hell, and the grave. Who would betray such a one? We're so quick to judge Judas, but we ought to judge ourselves. For oftentimes in our life, we are no different than Judas Iscariot. Betraying the very friend that we call Christ, the very one that we call Savior, giving Him up for a little bit more of this world. Who would betray Jesus? Why did Judas betray Jesus? Two things this evening as we ask ourselves the question, why would Judas betray Jesus? The first thing I want us to notice, it's because Jesus wasn't who He thought He would be. Jesus was not who Judas thought He would be. How do we know that? Oh, look at two different references. Let's go to John chapter 6, first of all. John chapter 6 and down about verse 15. Turn with me there. I want us to see this. And remember, Jesus wasn't, or Judas wasn't the only one who thought Jesus was going to come and take over the political landscape, raise up Israel as a nation. That's who the Pharisees were looking for. That's who the Sadducees were looking for. That's who the Herodians uh, uh, were hoping against because those were Jewish people who were, who were uh, um, tied to Herod. They were, their uh, allegiance was to King Herod, the Herodians. You'll read them in the, in the Gospel accounts. Jesus was very clear what He came to do. These Jews, they weren't looking for for someone to cleanse them of their sins. They were looking for someone to cleanse them of the Roman captivity. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a Moses, not a Jesus. Look at verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force and make Him a king, He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. Now we know Matthew chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000... Five loaves and two fishes. After He fed them, they saw the miracle. What were they so enamored with? Was it the miracle? No, as we remember from our study in John chapter 6, they were so enamored with the fact that Jesus could provide them with all the social needs that they wanted. All the material blessings. They'd never go hungry again if Jesus was King. This man who could take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 plus... They'd never have to worry about anything else. He's going to be the one. We need to make Him king of all of Israel. And what did Jesus do? When He knew they were going to take Him by force, He departed. He fled to the mountain. Why? Because He didn't come to be the king of Israel alone. He came to make a path for all mankind to where He could be king Of all eternity for the hearts of sinful men. That's what he came to do. Jesus wasn't who Judas thought he would be. Turn now to Luke 19. Let's look there. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 37. When he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the mountain of olives or the mount of olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And what did they introduce him as? Blessed be the what? King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. King. That's who they were looking for. They were looking for a king. They were wanting a king. That's why Peter would draw his sword when the, when, the, when the soldiers would come to arrest Jesus. Peter drew his sword as we'll see later on throughout this 24-hour period in the Gospel of John. He would draw his sword and he would cut off the ear of that servant. And what did Jesus say? It's not why I'm here, Peter. Put your sword away. We're not starting a revolution. We're not trying to turn Rome into Judaism. We're not trying to turn Rome into Israel. I am here to save man from his sin. That was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. You see, Judas, he was looking for a political leader. Judas was looking for someone who would provide meat for his belly and a throne and he thought because all the disciples thought such. We see that throughout the Scripture. All the disciples thought that's what He was doing. There were very few that understood until after His death, burial, and resurrection. What happened after His ascension, after death, burial, and resurrection? The Holy Spirit came. What's the Holy Spirit bring? Understanding. Here's probably the saddest aspect of Judas's life. Had he not betrayed Jesus... Jesus had been betrayed by a Pharisee or a Sadducee, had Judas had Judas just waited had he not betrayed Jesus had he just waited five more days five more days one day for the crucifixion three days for the death, burial and resurrection he would have seen Jesus resurrected and he would have been just like the other twelve had he just been patient and waited but that That wasn't what he was looking for. Judas was looking. So I ask you the question this evening. When you came to Jesus, what were you looking for? Now some of us came to know Christ at a young age. Myself, I was eight years old when I placed my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And some of you have the same type of testimony. So then my question is, as you've gotten older, who is Jesus supposed to be to you? See, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, if He's not your Savior, if He's just your source for blessings, if He's just your source for materialism, if He's just your source to get ahead in life, then you're going to be gravely disappointed with what Jesus expects and with what He does. Because He didn't come to make us rich. He didn't come to give us an extra head step in life. He came to save us from our sins. To cleanse and to make us whole. Who is Jesus to you? He wasn't who Judas thought he was, and that's why Judas would betray him. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 21. There was a move back about, oh fifteen, sixteen 15, 16 years ago, probably longer than that, but that's, that's when I remember hearing about it, where there was that uh, controversy over what's called Lordship salvation, that if you didn't say the words Lord or call Jesus Lord in your prayer when you prayed to accept Christ as Savior, then then you're not saved or something of that nature somewhere along those lines. Now, it started out with pure intents because whosoever shall call upon the name of the what? Lord shall be saved. If you accept Christ as your Savior, or rather place your faith and trust in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, what are you doing? You're making Him the Lord of your life. But then it becomes legalism when you don't say a certain word. You, You see what I mean? This verse ought to have stopped that from ever stirring up long ago because it's not in what you call Him. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them that I never knew you. Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. Do you know who fits the category of Matthew 7, 21-23? Judas Iscariot. Judas was part of the 70. He would have gone out. He would have been given the power to what? Cast out devils. Do many wonderful miracles. He would have been given the power to do such. And he would have with the others called Jesus Lord and Master. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. Now, I want to stop here. I want to be very clear. Because it's this verse that a lot of people use to try to convince saved people that they're not saved. The context here, who is Jesus talking to? This is Matthew. It's a very Jewish book. It's the Beatitudes, so to speak. And what is He teaching? He is teaching on the kingdom of heaven, which is a physical kingdom. The point we are trying to make is just because you do a lot of stuff that looks Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Your faith and trust in Christ is what makes you a Christian. Not your works. Nothing you do. Even the prayers you pray. None of that makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is in Romans. When you believe in your heart and with the mouth confession is made that Jesus is the Son of God. We looked at that just last Sunday. So it's not, well, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. I believe, the devils believe and tremble. They know exactly who Jesus is. But they don't confess Him as their Master. They don't confess Him as God in the flesh. They don't confess... You see see where that goes? Judas wasn't looking for a spiritual Lord. He was looking for a physical king. Why else would Judas betray Him? Jesus wasn't who He thought He would be. And then lastly, Jesus didn't provide like He thought He would provide. He didn't provide how He thought He should. He didn't provide how He thought He should. Look at John chapter 12. And if you'll notice, we're just going back through what we've seen. Now we're going back in the life of Christ and we're looking at Judas a little bit. Judas is almost kind of like a background character until you get to his betrayal. You don't hear much about him in the Gospels. But I want us to notice. You remember John chapter 12? What happens? Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. Wipes his feet, dries his feet with her hair. Notice, look at verse uh, four. John chapter twelve, verse four. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Why was this ointment, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but he was a what? Thief. He had the bag. And he bare what was put therein. What did he want? More money. What was he in it for? Financial gain. That's what Judas was looking for. He was following Christ to try... Now at some point, I don't know when it happened. It could have been from the very beginning because it... Pretty sure Scripture says, thou art a devil from the beginning. Amen? But Judas was in it for the financial gain. He was a thief. That's why he wanted wanted Mary to give the ointment to Jesus so Jesus could give the ointment to Judas so Judas could go and sell the ointment for 300 plus odd pence and then keep the money because he had the bag. He was in control. Jesus didn't provide how He thought He should. Turn with me now, look, same account, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, look at verse 8. When His disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Now we know from Scripture, this is the account, same account we just looked at in John chapter 12. Mary pouring the ointment on Jesus Christ, washing His feet, tying them with her hair. And what? What do we learn? It wasn't just Judas that had indignation. Judas was the one that was vocal about it. All the disciples were concerned because this ointment that you're washing, you're wasting it on Jesus. That's essentially what they're saying. They all had indignation. Judas was the spokesman for it. What was Judas in it for? The finances. Look at Matthew chapter 6. You know what's interesting in these studies when you're going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, especially the Gospels? None of it's new information. Have you caught that yet? In three years we've been in the Gospel of John. None of it's new information. Two years, I don't know how long, two and a half, somewhere in there. None of it's new information. We know this. We've read these accounts. We know these stories. We know Judas betrayed Jesus. We know that he held the bag and that he was a thief. But yet, why do we still betray our friend with our lives? Verse 24, Matthew chapter 6. No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You see, Judas had rejected Christ because of his own love for this world. He had rejected Christ because he loved this world more. Go back to Matthew 26. We'll we'll finish up right here. Matthew 26, and then then we'll pray together. But I want to finish this. This is it. We're done. Matthew 26. I want us to see this. Verse 8, the disciples had indignation. Let's look down at verse 15. Now let's verse 12, or 14. Now what's happened? Mary's broken the ointment, washed the of Jesus, dried them with her hair. Now notice. Verse 14. One of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests. When was this? This was table. You remember in Chapter 13, when we looked at it at first and it said that Satan had placed it into the heart of Judas that he should betray Him, Judas had already gone. He had already gone to the chief priests. 14, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted him for 30 pieces of silver. And verse 16, From that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. It wasn't Satan's fault that Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas was already looking for opportunity to betray Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loved this right here. You see, John chapter 13... And verse 2 tells us, Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas. What did the devil do for Judas? He showed him the opportunity that he had. Oh, Judas was already looking to betray Him. He had already covenanted with the chief priest. He had already said, what will you give me? Because he was angry over 300 pence of ointment, so he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. They had already covenanted together. John chapter 13 and verse 2, after dinner. Satan says, hey, you were looking for an opportunity to get out. Judas, you were looking for an opportunity to turn your back on Jesus. You were looking for opportunity to get that 30 pieces of silver. Now's the time. Why did he betray Jesus? Because Jesus wasn't who he thought he would be. Because Jesus didn't provide financially like he thought he would. Or like he thought he should. So Judas... Rejected Christ because of his love for this world. What would it take for you to betray Jesus? What would it take for you to turn your back on the Savior? Oh, I wouldn't, I'd never betray Jesus. Well, the Bible says that we are to love him more than we're to love this world. We're to love Him more than we're to love father or mother or brother or sister. We're to love Him more than all of those. What would it take for you to turn your back on Christ? Ever head bowed? Ever eye closed? As we looked at this betrayer, as we've